Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. Chris Fallen joins us today. He is uh, at CPF Consulting, LLC. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And a uh, quick correction, CPF Coaching. And actually, I'll give you a little bit I'm of sorry. background why I went with that. Is I've been, while I've been a consultant, a technician, a security person for so many years, I help, I love helping to educate people. So while I'm providing my services, I find myself more with the education to justify why they should be going with security rather than, hey, this is the right way to do it or this is the best way to do it. No, this is the best way to do it for your organization. And just like coaching an individual, coaching a company, everything, everyone's different. Every company is different. They all have their unique circumstances. But that's the end. That's where I'm at now. Let's jump back to the beginning. Well, and I appreciate that. And actually, that's what I had written down. I just couldn't read my own writing. <laughs> and and I, I think I was more more focused on making sure to get your name correct. So, But thank you for the correction. And yes, would like to hear about your journey, how you got started and where you got to where you're at with CPF coaching today. Perfect. So I grew up in the Caribbean. Uh, people that, that had followed my podcast uh, that I st still do, Breaking Into Cybersecurity, kind of shares that journey where I came from an island boy living in an internet cafe at 10 or 11, upgrading computers from Windows 95 to XP and removing viruses for fun. Um, those were the days of LimeWire and Napster and Everyone that wanted music ended up with viruses. So I ended up being the, the island kid that helped get rid of that. That fueled my passion for cybersecurity. But when I came to the States as a teenager and I was looking for college degrees, everything was focused on the science, computer science this, computer science that. And I'm not much for the physics or the the algorithms behind all this. I like to connect the people with the technology and help them use it the best way. So I said, I'm going to go for a business degree. And I did that with emphasis on information systems. How can I help businesses use information systems better? That went on for a while. Then the economy crashed in 2008. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if, if, at that point, I was in more of the sales uh, type role. I'm like, if I'm going to do this, might as well do this for something I love. So quit my job. Um, at the time, you needed certifications to get in, still like today, unfortunately. Um, I had the, the experience, so passing the certifications for me was easy. But when I saw all the folks going through the boot camps at the time as well, it made me realize how not good of a model the bootcamp model is. While it helps people pass the exam, if they're in it for the wrong reasons, they just get a piece of paper and they don't really help themselves. So a lot of like book knowledge, but not not practical application um, skill sets. Yeah, or, or even 
they passed the test and they don't know why they passed the test. They, they knew the right answers, but that was it. Mm -hmm. um, I had construction people, I had um, math majors, and quite a collective group of folks in my bootcamp class. And the, the, the ones that were the most successful typically were the ones that wanted to do that for fun and not were being paid by government grants to do these boot camps. Um, I, I took out loans. I, I, I did it the hard way. I paid them off, but I loved it along the way. And then I got my first help desk job. And long, long behold, what do I find on their keyboard on day one? Their password on their keyboard. I'm like, ah, oh, there's got to be an easier way. So that started my, my way down. Okay. Let's let's help you create better passwords. Let's help, let's help you manage it better. Back then, there wasn't really good password managers. There, there was a couple that lived on your iPhone, and that was the only existence of all your passwords. So if your phone died, all your passwords went too. And for, for most people, that was too big of a, a bet to take. So they would rather save it somewhere local. So I ended up helping them create like password protected files where mm -hmm. at least it was encrypted, at least there was a password on it. So, so that if a threat actor did get the file, they didn't get all their passwords. Uh, they, they, they got an encrypted file. But along the way, I wanted to do more and do more in security, but I was seen as a help desk person. I was seen as an infrastructure person, and I didn't have that security title. Um, I'm hearing some background noise. Is it? It could be uh, on my side where there's uh, somebody to, with a leaf blower. So, oh, okay, yeah, we'll just continue on. We'll continue. <laughs> um, so, as I wanted to to transition into more of a security focused role, I found myself hitting up against that, that stigma that people saw that I came from the help desk, that I, I came from IT, but there weren't many security titles back then. I mean, there, there, were, there wasn't even a CISO title except for maybe some of the huge fortune banks, but smaller companies that they maybe had a manager and that was it. Mm -hmm. um, so I started a podcast once I got my first consulting role in cybersecurity, and I called it Breaking Into Cybersecurity to share my knowledge, but also to share the, the journey of other people that are doing just what I did and transition from another field, could be IT, could be not, into cybersecurity and their path along the way. And it's been five years, 500 plus episodes between myself and my co-host. So we, we've been going for a long time. Um, we even, I even started a new um, version of it, breaking into cybersecurity leadership. Mm. But rather than folks that have broken into leadership, I'm trying to pull back from VCSOs like yourself or other CISOs to share their journey so that folks that are looking to get into those roles, they know that you don't have to be just a technical person. You need to know the business. You need to know the soft skills, the people skills. Absolutely. Uh, and that 
understanding the business is just as important as understanding the security aspect of it. So been doing that as well. Um, the economy hit me. I was part of a, a bank. I got laid off and I'm like, why not? Why not try doing some consulting on my own? Uh, so I started CPF coaching with that background because I've been doing it in the past, usually for other people. This is the first time for myself. And being an entrepreneur is, is a tough job, as as you might know. Um, it, it's not just delivering on the role. You have to find the, find the work. You have to sell the work. And then you have marketing to is a four letter <laughs> word. And then sales is even worse. Yes. So, no, I hear you. It's a that's that's what I one of the things that um, I, people ask me a lot. Um, just as a side note, it's like. Well, well, how would I start off doing this on my own? And it, it's like, you know, 80% of this is, is nothing to do with the technical stuff or whatever it is you're delivering. It's like you, you, you literally, the hardest part is getting the business out there because there's a lot of people out there that are doing the same thing. And especially with the, the V CISO title, mm -hmm. you, I've found prolifically within the past two to three years, you have these large consulting companies that are selling consultants as virtual CISOs, but they're just the ones delivering the mid-tier work. They're not the ones guiding the strategy. They're not the ones helping the business come up with how to implement a, a security program or a framework to use. They're usually ones helping them to implement something more on the engineering side, but selling them as VC. So services. So that that's another reason that like, I, I, while I have a little bit of disdain for, for the VC. So, and when I got my role as a VC, so I went with one of the acronyms that someone else went with fractional and yeah. I, I like their, the reasoning that they use behind that is because they're still one person. They still have, they're, they, they can't clone themselves. They can't virtualize themselves. They can't containerize themselves. They now have to split themselves up amongst how many of businesses they're supporting. So it, it's really what it is. You're fractionalizing yourself to help smaller, medium-sized businesses to deliver on a security program because they don't need one of you all the time. They, they maybe need a couple hours of you to help with their risk assessment or to help with um, a security questionnaire or to help with a modernization effort. But they don't need you all the time. They might need engineers most of the time. They, they need analysts most of the time. But they, they don't, they're not at the stage where they need full leadership all the time. And that, that's a big difference for many small, medium-sized companies, that, that it's okay that you don't need a full-fledged leader just yet. But you need someone that understands the need for that strategic guidance and then someone that can guide the engineers that understand what needs to be done. And this could be someone in IT, this could be someone in risk, different aspects of the business, but that understands the need for security within the organization and not just thinking, well, who's going to pick on me? I'm a tiny SMB. Um, <laughs> right. Yes, but you're in the supply chain. Yes, but you 
support DOD contractors or you su support the healthcare system or you support the financial system. You're just that little fish that they want to gobble up so that they could get to the next big fish. So that's the importance why small, medium-sized companies really do need to think of security as part of their survival is because they're part of the ecosystem and the supply chain and their bigger partners are starting to see that and are starting to require some level of maturity even for their scale for them to be able to be part of their vendor ecosystem well i think you brought up uh, several excellent points during that uh, one in particular the 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 VCSO, fractional CISO, VISO, whatever, it, it's like, uh, um, it, it, and I think you're, you're right on the two to three year time frame is when you've really seen this sort of morph. Whereas prior to that, um, the virtual X, you know, CXO was pretty much understood. And I think it was the, the most ubiquitous was the, uh, the virtual C, uh, CFO uh, is the one that really started that whole virtual craze. But Really, I think for small and mid-sized businesses, in the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you call yourself, but you have to show that you have that risk management experience if that's what it is that they're looking for. They have to understand what it is that they're looking for, and um, you have to be able to deliver it. So if you have someone, an SMB, that's going to get a, a virtual CISO thinking that they're, or a fractional CISO even, um, that, uh, that they think that they're getting risk management experience, but they're really getting more tactical stuff, that all needs to be worked out prior to the engagement, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And I think that's part of the marketing or sales that we need to do is that we really do need to qualify the need for the engagement. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's that they need our services and sometimes that they need more technical services and we're happy to connect them with our, our security partners or our colleagues that provide those services, whereas I myself, I, I like the coaching aspect. I like coaching the business leaders and the, and the security leaders or even the compliance leaders as to why they might need that maturation strategy, why they might need that modernization strategy to help their organization grow. And usually it's to help them make more money. And, and that's what they want to do in the end. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, the the risk management portion, the SMBs understanding that they that they need that is certainly, I, I would say, uh, is is a risk to them at this point in time because they they if they don't understand it. But but outside of that, outside of the not having the um, the proper experience or to the coaching if you will, which is, which is a huge thing that they need. What, what are some of the other uh, currently, from your perspective, threats um, from the cyber side that SMBs face today? Well, I think the whole evolution of cloud, not understanding the shared, responsi shared responsibility model that's used within cloud services or software as a service, while you do inherit some security controls, some level of expertise that you would not otherwise have if you built all the services yourself, there are still things that you need to control within a SaaS environment. There are still things that your SaaS provider will not do for you. They will not help 
end to end with identity and access management. You still need to vet your people. You still need to vet your business processes. You still need to vet your process flow and how you share your information and where your information ends up and what type of information you have and how you want to protect it. These are all things that the businesses still need to do no matter how small or big they are. And I think for a lot of the smaller, medium-sized companies, this is where they are finding some of their challenges. They're, they're, they might say, okay, well, we're all SaaS. Okay, well, do you understand how you're controlling your identity or how you're controlling the data that you put within those SaaS environments and where you have stricter controls versus looser controls? And that that's still something that they're, they need a lot of coaching on. They need a lot of guidance on to help them as to where they could strengthen their controls without inhibiting their business so that they can seem um, more on top of their game when they go out to their vendors, when they fill out security risk questionnaires that their vendors are asking them to fill out, things like that, um, because they're going to lose sales if they can't show that maturity, if they can't Absolutely. show that understanding. And I think that's the evolution that um, they, they're needing to go through. And that, that's the journey that I like helping them on. Well, in the SMB, sometimes they'll come back and in, in, in the beginning of a due diligence process, you touched on it. They said they would say it's like, well, we're all SaaS. And, and here it's like we have these SOC 2 reports from all of our SaaS vendors. Um, OK, you looked at them. Yeah, they're fine. There are no exceptions. Like, OK, that's fine. All right. Well, what, how do you actually meet the complementary user entity controls? And then they go, what? And it gets to your point about control because they, they they don't realize that even within their vendors, those reports have the little nuggets of clues about what they should be doing. And yet, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong uh, from your perspective, but from my perspective, for the most part, uh, first starting to work with SMBs, they really don't understand, first of all, what a SOC 2 report is and is not, um, and nor do they know how to use it. They, they, they don't. They they really use it as a sticker to put on their website to um, make them seem more marketable. And mm -hmm. they think that once they have that, they, they can wipe their hands clean of it. But uh, as I remind many people, it, first of all, it's a point in time. And second of all, as soon as that auditor has gone, you don't know what happens in the background. So um, it it's your business, it's your reputation. And while you might stake it on their SOC 2 report, it's still your reputation. If you, if they get breached and you're the one that loses your business, you're the one that loses your business. They might survive, but you lost your business. So because you relied on them and you didn't even double check, put any due diligence back into understanding that SOC 2 report, reading that SOC 2 report and not just taking it and going, oh yeah, here, pass it on to someone else. There's a lot of um, risk acceptance that happens like that, that People unknown yeah yes. yeah almost unknown and 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 the misconception in, in that that the SOC 2 is not a certification it's just an attestation of like you said a point in time and for for, for most of the times it's a self-attestation because their auditors will 
depending on how much they want to spend, take the the SMB at their word. They might verify a couple of the more salient points, but you're not going to go through with a, a fine tooth and comb or the small, medium sized business can't afford for them to go through with um, a fine tooth and comb to make sure that everything that you're attesting to is really true. So um, that that's another challenge that I find small, medium sized companies have is some of them are, are willing to say, oh, yes, we do that. And then when you drill down, well, we, we don't really do that. Like we have a policy. OK, well, how do you implement your policy? How do you validate your policy? How do you test your policies? And you get to the test and the validate part. And that's that becomes a harder nugget to crack. And that's where the, the coaching and the guidance comes in, because sure, you have a a disaster recovery plan or you have backups, but ha have you ever tested them? Have you ever mm -hmm. restored them? Do things still work after that? Uh, most of the times it's an unknown for them too. So it's, it seems to make sense that, that again, sometimes, uh, sometimes SMBs, they're, they're triggered to help build their security programs because one or more of their prospects or clients are asking for a SOC too. And it's almost like a backward way because it would seem to me that it would make more sense for someone to um, build a security program first by choosing a framework and then building that framework. And then when audit for whatever comes, whatever requirement comes, then you should be able to map and meet that whatever that requirement is. Is, is that a, an adequate way for SMBs to start, in your opinion? I think it's a it's a practical way for them to start mm -hmm. um, because when you're when you're a small one two person company um, it's easier to control your data it's easier to control who has access to the environment and things like that but as you grow to 40 50 people um, you put trust in those new hires. You expect them to put the same level and due diligence and care that you did growing your baby to this size. But they, they some of them are there just for a paycheck. Some of them are there just, just to sell your services. They don't have that same love and affection for your small, medium-sized company like you did when, when you were growing up. So if... You, if that's not inherited when they come on and if that's not practiced and preach when they come on, they look up to you. And if you're flying by the seat of your pants, they're going to fly by their seat of your pants. So I think at a certain stage, you have to go, okay, um, we're going to implement a framework. Even if we can't develop it fully, we're going to do as much security as we can at each stage of the business. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my, one of my colleagues wrote a great book and um, it's called under there's two books I want to recommend. One's called um, understand and measure cyber risk. And the other one is called startup secure. And mm -hmm. between both of those, they start with the inherent framework that you need to understand we're all humans and we all make mistakes. Just by that fact, we need to implement security at all stages of the business, and it's not always going to look the same. 
in the beginning, it might be that MFA, that extra layer of protection over your identity. As you grow, it might be extra protections around your data and how you share data. And then as you grow, you might need more control over the things you develop, how you bring things into your environment, how you inherit uh, controls from other vendors and do they really meet your requirements? And it kind of lets you grow and evolve your security and compliance program because there, there will come compliance. The bigger you get, the regulatory mm -hmm. bodies will look at you, whether you're in finance, healthcare, government, someone will look at you and then your vendors will look at you, right. the people that you're selling to, your customers. So there will be compliance at some point in time. So I don't say compliance as a four-letter word, but sometimes you need to comply to a framework to help you improve your security program. Because if you take and choose controls from many random frameworks, you end up with an incoherent security program when you get to the end. Yes. Now, if you take something that has um, uh, Rosetta Stone, like uh, NIST-CSF, and you want to show how you're matching those controls and how it creates a great framework for you, yes, that's a different story. But you, you can't start, oh, CIS here, NIST here, ISO here, and just choose all the random controls because they're convenient for you you want to go in with a sound methodology as you create this framework within your organization. Well, even working with uh, small and mid-sized businesses that have a lot of the same needs that larger ones do, but don't have the, um, the, uh, the knowledge and the experience of it. And then sometimes even just getting in a framework, we even working there in smaller organizations, everything, information security and cybersecurity can be quite stressful. And we have an, a little bit of a problem or more so than a little bit of a problem in our industry of uh, burnout. And in some cases, um, it affects mental health if, we, if we're too much ingrained into what we're trying to do and we put too much stress on ourselves and there's a need to want to decompress. What's one of the things you do to get away from the stress, not only of cyber, but also, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the stress of being an entrepreneur? I would say for me, it's continuous education. I, I came into cyber and tech because I love learning about what's coming around the corner. Um, right now, I'm learning a lot about AI and large language models and how companies can use them to enable their staff, but also how we can help them use it in a way but understand the risks that come with using it. Just like any technology, these advancements in technology, they come with hallucinations. They come with um, caveats that you need to understand when you're implementing them within your organization. So I'm looking at what is the next thing that's coming down the pike that I'm interested in and then that I can help companies with because really, if you're not doing it for fun at the end of the day and you're not having fun, you're going to burn yourself out. It's like someone saying, I want to get into cyber and the first job I'm going to take is be a SOC analyst. And they have no clue what being a SOC analyst is. And then they get their first SOC analyst job and you're like, 
I hate oh, my well. job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it, it's really about enjoying what you do. And um, for me, that's how I try to minimize my burnout. I try to find stuff that I do. So that's authoring books, like um, hack the cybersecurity interview, like breaking into cybersecurity, uh, co-authoring with other people, doing podcasts, getting to know people. Um, one of the, I ha I'm in so many different Slack groups with so many smart people, just having those conversations and being able to step out of the one company that I'm in at any given time and go, huh, this is what this other tech company in San Francisco or in Canada or in South America is approaching these challenges. How can we use the, the knowledge that they gained to take a step ahead and share our knowledge between us because threat actors are doing it. Mm -hmm. And if we're not doing it, you're going to keep advancing at a, a faster pace than we do. So we need to be on the information sharing as well. So uh, future plans? Future plans. Uh, as much as I love being an entrepreneur, I, I think I'd rather uh, work full time for a company. So I continue my journey to look for that full-time role. I don't think I have to jump straight to being a CISO. Um, I, I could be a deputy at a larger company. I think there's enough challenges in uh, small enterprises that I could be happy with and continue podcasting and authoring and giving back to the community. That That's where I want to focus. Um, I love giving back. I love helping the next generation. So. Uh, continue having great conversations with folks across the industry. So if folks want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, they could find me at um, cpf-coaching.com. They can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on YouTube, all the major podcast platforms. Um, they're just sharing information. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This has been a great chat. I've learned a lot. And um, appreciate you uh, sharing your wisdom with us this morning. And thank you for having me on. And everybody, stay secure.